So how many of you, this is your first time to hear Bishop Englehart? If you've never heard the bishop before, raise your hands. We've got some good, some new folks here today. Well, you are in for a treat. Um, his gift is unlike any that I've ever been under or around. Uh, he has an unbelievable appetite, an insatiable appetite for truth, for the word, and for breaking us, helping us break out of religious mindsets and wrong mindsets about Jesus, about the kingdom, and about what it means to be a son or daughter in, in daddy's house. And um, he has an awesome voice. That's right. That's, that's a good point, Veronica. You'll know that in a moment when he gets up to speak. Um, he's the ZZ Top of Christianity. Amen? And so... Uh, Anyway, we love to have him in as often as we can. Um, he always has a word in due season. And I, I just am going to pull on his anointing today. Father, I thank you that Bishop's got something. Um, I know you've already talked to him about what to speak, but I thank you, God, there's going to be things coming out of his mouth that just are surprises to him. Because you know there's people here today, raise your hand, that need a word in due season. And we came to hear something be confirmed. We, heard, we came to hear something be corrected. <laughs> we, heard, uh, we came to, to, to get some clarification and to get um, some direction. And so we just declare in Jesus' name that we're getting it. All right? The questions that have been rolling around in our heads, the answers are coming out of his mouth today. And so we honor the bishop. We honor his apostolic gifting. We receive him as an apostle. And uh, we say, Jesus, do y'all thing. Jamie Inglehart Jamie style. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Bishop, we love you. Well, good morning, everybody. It is so good to be here. And uh, always good to be with some of our uh, Colorado family. I don't, I definitely don't feel like a guest here, but uh, definitely just part of the family. And uh, always look forward to coming into the area. We had a great time uh, last night down in the Springs at Pulse. And uh, love uh, Pastor Justin and Catherine. And as always, I always look forward to being around uh, Shalise and Brian and the girls. We even have to sit in service and listen to me today. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, it, is, uh, it is always an honor. I want you to know that we believe in them uh, and believe in y'all. And uh, uh, the, the, the word I have, and uh, it's going to shift a little bit. I shared a little bit of this. Uh, at Pulse last night, but it's been something God's mainly uh, been doing a lot in me. I'm, I'm finding myself, uh, the older I'm getting, um, I always tell people if you wanted like revelation that would just like hurt your head and all that kind of stuff, uh, you probably need to go find stuff I preached in my 30s and in late 20s. Uh, now that I'm sneaking up on 50 next year, I'll hit my Jubilee and I, I, I receive all that financial stuff. You just said, Jubilee, I'm declaring debt cancellation in Jesus name. I'll receive that, uh, from everything <laughs> you better receive that. Uh, but I, I know that five years ago when we started, uh, uh, the church that we now lead in Saginaw, Michigan, uh, for those of you that don't know Saginaw per capita for the last 10 years has been one of the most dangerous cities in America. Uh, and uh, per per capita. And then I oversee several churches in Flint. And, uh, of course, Flint has been in the news a lot over the last several months, and uh, it really is as bad as it looks. It's literally like a third-world country uh, when you go in there. Uh, I was just preaching at one of the churches I oversee there in January, and I went to the bathroom. I got done 
going to the bathroom, and I turned on the faucet to wash my hands and decided to just do this instead. Because <laughs> what was coming out of there was a whole lot worse than anything. I mean, it was it was nasty. And then, thank God, the pastor's wife had some lotion, uh, a little, you know, a little something. But, uh, I mean, it was coming out. I mean, I've seen cleaner water in Africa. I mean, it was really that bad. It's amazing amazing uh living in the in the country we live in that there could be something like horrible water i mean it's just almost inconceivable and uh but the one thing that leading a house has done for me because i i've traveled for 26 years now and one thing that leading a house has done for me uh is it's caused me to have to focus uh, to be much more practical uh, you know, when you travel, you can just come in and thunder and release revelation and folks are, woo, and then, you know, you leave it to the leader to explain everything after you leave. You just blow in, blow up, and blow out. You know, you just have, it, it's just true. But then uh, when you're having to live incarnationally with people, uh, man, the, the, the thing I found, man, just traveling and preaching is a blast because I don't really have to live with nobody. Uh, and and <laughs> let's just... Let's be honest, you know, I mean, it's, I, I see why a lot of people at times want to stay under law because under law, I could go hide in a monastery, which is me, Jesus, and my Bible, and I wouldn't have to mess with you. All I'd have to do is make sure I'm dressing right and eating right, and I just keep enough rules and regulations, but then I don't really have to deal uh, with people. The problem is, is that we're, we've not been discerning the body. And because we've not been discerning the body many times, we've learned how to have a relationship with Jesus, but we've not necessarily learned how to have a relationship incarnationally with each other. And where the rubber meets the road uh, in maturity uh, is not how much scripture I can quote, not how many prayer meetings I go to, not how deep my worship is. It ultimately comes down to how I get along with people, especially crazy ones. <laughs> oh, help us, Jesus. Uh, that, that's, why, that's why sometimes law is just easier, because then I just don't have to mess with humans, because humans can be crazy. Humans, uh, but I, I also learned a long time ago that, you know, normal is just a setting on a dryer. And what's normal to one person is insane to somebody else. And what one person, you know, sees as normal, you know, it's, it's crazy to say, and, and, and it's, it's okay. We're not called to be normal. We're called to be peculiar, but it's learning to see the Jesus in each one of us. Cause there's an aspect of him. We never experience, uh, just in the secret place. And, and what we've tend to do in the charismatic church, especially is we put all of our focus on experiencing him in our quiet time. And we forget then about how much of him we need to experience in living and doing life with each other. And that is the part I'm convinced we miss out on because we live in a culture that is excarnational, not incarnational. And excarnational is we're now plugged into the Internet and we've got 5,000 Facebook friends and, and we barely have any real friends. Uh, you know, I, I can just converse with you in a text. I don't have to actually talk to you. Uh, I don't have to actually connect with you because it's just easier to just do it this way. And I mean, I mean, it, it cracks me up sitting around with my family. I mean, we'll all be like watching a movie and family time and a couple of my, my son's friends will be over and all of a sudden everybody will start laughing and there was nothing funny in the movie. And I look around and everybody's on their phone. They're all texting each other, sitting there, sitting there watching the movie, you know, and, and I'm like, put the phones away. 
you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're sitting here trying to watch something. And, and because our culture has become more and more excarnational in our thinking, a lot of times we don't really know how to connect. And, and because our, our connecting has predominantly been through the air rather than actually heart to heart. And so I, I, want, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, if I would entitle this, I'm not the best with titles. I'm going to talk about today the one thing. Everybody say the one thing. Uh, the truth is there's only one thing Jesus commanded us to do. The, the only do in the new covenant is, is not a work. It is something that we do that is flowing out of the being that we are. And so read with me. Uh, very familiar. Most of you could probably quote this. Uh, John chapter 13. Uh, Jesus uh, is speaking and then he, he says something very uh, interesting. And he says this. Where I am going, starting in verse uh, in number 33, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another, for by this all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's interesting to me that Jesus didn't say the world will know that we are his by how accurate we are in our prophecies. Uh, he didn't say the world will know that we are his by how many people we lay hands on and they get healed or they fall on the floor. Uh, he didn't say the world will know that we are his by how many scriptures we've memorized or how holy we are or act or how righteous we, we, we feel we are, it, it, how much we intercede, how much we attend worship services. And, and I don't want you to misunderstand. All those are good things. Everybody say amen. Those are good. He didn't say that the world will know you're his by how much you give. All of those are good things. Those are overflow of a desire to know him. But he said there's only one litmus test, one litmus test to show and to prove that we're actually his sons and daughters. And the interesting thing about it is it's not our love for him. Isn't that interesting? Matter of fact, I had one of the, one of the young men in our church who's, uh, you know, about 40% of our church are first-time believers. And so the fun part about that is they bring up stuff that, you know, me being a preacher's kid, third generation, I'd never think of. I mean, there's sometimes they come up to me and they say, you know, you, you guys did a, did a teaching on a weekend about something. And uh, now how in the world would that line up with this? And I look at it and say, man, I, I don't know. I never even thought of that. And I probably would have never thought about it because of the paradigm many times that I've come from. But this young man looked at me and he said, you know, he said in the new covenant, because he'd heard me teach that, you know, Jesus is asked a question one day and they said to Jesus, they said, uh, what is the greatest commandment under the law? And Jesus tells them under the law, the greatest commandment. But how many of you know we're not under law? Come on, I, I know I'm preaching in Woodland Park, but we're, we're not under law. We're, we're under grace, okay? And if you haven't figured that one out yet, you know, you that or maybe you're new, all right? <laughs> just, because that has been preached around this area just a little bit. But we're not under that law. We're under grace. But the greatest commandment under the law is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And because Jesus said it, we then also try to necessarily live that at times, uh, even now and today in the new covenant. But actually, Jesus was just telling Pharisees 
and Jews the greatest commandment under the law. But what's interesting is that they asked him for the greatest command and he gives them two. Jesus just was good at messing with religious people. I mean, you know, I mean, I can almost hear a Pharisee saying, you know, we didn't ask for two. We just asked for one. Why? Why did you give us two laws? We just asked for one. But in Luke, it says this. Jesus goes on to say, for these are the same. In other words, our love for humanity is actually the same thing as showing our love for God. So how we love humanity is the proving point, if you may, of then how we show then love for him. But then uh, December of this past year, Lord and I kind of began to have a discussion. And I said, okay, God, then we're told all through the old covenant to love you, but how do we love you in the new covenant? And I began to really study it. And do you know that after the cross, we are never told one time to love God? Outside of the context of loving humans. Not one time are we told Paul, Paul didn't talk about it. Peter didn't talk about it. John didn't talk about it. It was never a, a, a doing when it comes to this is what you do to love God. Matter of fact, first John says here is love. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. And so the focus began to shift now to all of his love for us. But then Jesus still gave the disciples because what's interesting is the verse before this that I read to you, he, he's speaking to the Jews and he says to the Jews, you can't go where I'm going. But then he turns to the 12 and he said, I'm now giving a new commandment to you. In other words, this is a new covenant command, the only command. The only thing, he said, this is the one thing I want you to get down pat above everything else. And I, I got to be really extremely honest with you. Uh, it took me more than 15 years of preaching to just finally figure out the one thing. And up until 10 years ago, I barely liked people, let alone love people. I'm just going to be honest with you. I mean, it's just... I mean, most of the time, you know, I mean, folks just get on your nerves easy and, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. And I mean, it's just, it's just better to just, Hey, why, why even mess with this? All right. I mean, because man, I love the idea of, let me just read my books and let me just study the Bible and let me just get along with Jesus in my office. Woo, man, I can do this. This is good stuff. Me and Jesus got it going on. And then I, then I had, you know, the, the, the crazy idea that I've, you know, man, I've heard so many preachers say this, you know, that all you need to understand the scriptures is just the Bible and the Holy Spirit. Really? I mean, wouldn't that be nice? So the Holy Spirit's going to explain to you Second Temple Judaism. Uh, because if you don't understand Second Temple Jews compared to the Old Testament Jews, it was a total different mindset. They'd become completely platonic and begin to completely add all kinds of Greek stuff in there. Uh, th- th- this, this is how I love to explain to people. Uh, the scriptures in your personal devotions, God can speak a plethora of stuff to you uh, that is completely out of context. <laughs> because it's alive and he's speaking directly to your spirit. The problem is when we go try to teach that to other people. And then we try to tell them, well, you know, I think this scripture means this. Well, no. First of all, we're called to interpret the Bible. 
and, and, it, and you have to know what it meant, first of all, to the first people it was written to. It can't mean something to them that it didn't mean it all to you. There's, there's got to be an understanding there, but then the Holy Spirit breathes on it and makes it applicable to us today. And the idea that all we need, I mean, I mean, I, I heard a preacher say not too long ago who's written over 20 books that all you need is just the Holy Spirit in your Bible. And I'm like, well, I guess then we don't need to buy your books because... I mean, I mean, that, that almost doesn't even make any sense. You know, I, I mean, there's just sometimes, sometimes some of this, some of this stuff gets um, so goofy with us, but Jesus really just said one thing. And let's be honest, if, if someone walking by, if you were to ask most people on the street, what is your idea and opinion about Christians in church? Most of the time, the first reaction wouldn't be, they're the most loving people. Man, they're so accepting. Normally what we would hear is this, you know, bigots, judgmental. I mean, listen, I encourage you to be a part of of that that repenting of religion. Listen, I'm telling you, I thought I'd got somewhere. I read that Greg Boyd book and it tore me up. The idea of how much we judge between us and them. I mean, you don't even realize sometimes how much we become modern day Pharisees and not even realized it because the word Pharisee means separatist. And the moment you get a mindset of those people, no matter who you think those people are, okay, whether it's a color of skin, you know, I mean, you got charismatics and we look at, well, you know, those Baptists and the Baptists are like those Lutherans. Those Lutherans are those Catholics. And I mean, we've got all those people just in the church world. And, and, you know, every about five to ten years, there's different those people. It, it might be different colors of skin. It might be different culture. Right now, you know, it's ISIS and Muslims. I mean, I had a preacher say to me a few months ago, I think we ought to just bomb all the Muslims over there. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's what Jesus would do. He'd go push the button. He'd, he'd bomb all the sons of Ishmael that, by the way, were given a covenant before Isaac. Just think about that one for a second. He'd he'd just blow all of his kids up because that's what Jesus would do. And so we we forget that Paul was ISIS. I mean, one of the greatest apostles to ever live. I mean, he's, he's killing Christians, the people of the way, because he was believing that his God or his religion was correct. And it wasn't. You see, now, now it's, you know, those people are just the church down the road, uh, LGBT, th- those people, those, those perverts, those. We, we get all this idea. And rather than doing the one thing and really doing it right, instead of loving one another, you know, the, our love for each other and love for the world is supposed to make the world so jealous that they want to come be a part of us. Because like it or not, Man, this world, this world, there's a reason why the Beatles absolutely encaptured a a, a culture in the 60s and 70s because they sang all we need is love. And I'm telling you, that was prophetic. It is exactly where the world is right now. The problem is, is they're looking for love in all the wrong places. They're looking for love in too many, too many faces. And it's not just perverse stuff. They're looking in all. They're looking at the body of Christ and they're looking for love. And a lot of times, now I know I'm preaching to the choir here because this house loves people, but it, it still comes down to this whole 
this whole idea. You know, it's interesting. Let me, let me read just a few scriptures to you that I think's. Are we doing all right this morning? John fifteen thirteen, Jesus says, No greater love than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. Uh, I need you to hear this. I believe it's very important, and if it's controversial, I've gotten in trouble before. He laid down his life for all. So that means he has no enemies. All he has is friends. Paul said we were enemies of God in our minds. In other words, God doesn't view any human as his enemies. Humans view God as their enemy. That's why we need our conscience cleansed. That's, that's the reason for repentance. Repentance is just metanoia, a shifting of mind, a changing of our thinking about God and then a changing of mind about ourselves. And we have this idea of, of, of the idea of the us and the them. And then there's, there's those people that are God's enemies. And isn't it interesting that God never told us to love his enemies? I want you to hear this. He said, love your enemies. He never one time told us to love his enemies. Are, are, are y'all here? Are we doing okay? Um, it's a little different flow. His, his, his mindset was, if you can at least get this down, and so then uh, that's where First John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for others. First John 4.20, if a man says, I love God, and yet hates his fellow man, then he brands himself a liar. For he that loves not his brother who he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. Galatians 5.14, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13.10, love is the fulfillment of the law. Isn't it interesting? Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. Uh, but yet the fulfillment of the law was love and God is love and love showed up and fulfilled the law. Um, I'm getting ready. Those of you that are my Facebook friends, uh, you've probably seen them and we're actually putting it in an ebook pretty soon, but uh, we're doing things called myths and mistranslations. It's just, it's been fun stuff. But one of the ones I'm, I'm getting ready to do is that, is that according to the Jews, Jesus constantly broke the law. Uh, Jesus broke the law on a regular basis, according to the Jews. Uh, I mean, he healed on the Sabbath. Uh, he touched lepers. Uh, I mean, you know, he, he got around sinners. You know, he got around those kind of people. I mean, he was constantly, according to the Jews, breaking the law. But because love is the fulfillment of the law, according to the Father, he was keeping it perfectly. So he never broke the law. He was only breaking the law according to man's idea of what they believed the law was. Because according to God, everything he did was to be a blessing to other humans and love was the complete fulfillment of it. That's why in his physical body he said, I didn't come to abolish this. I came to fulfill it. But in his resurrection, he also abolished it. Because according to Ephesians 2, it was nailed to that tree, man. According to Colossians, it was dealt with once and for all. That's where John tells us. He's like, you know, you, you, can, you can have. Isn't it interesting that between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, all, all these wonderful gifts, he sticks a chapter in there. And he said, you know what? You can, you can have 
You can speak with the tongues of angels. You can, you can have revelation that oozes out of your pore. You can even do something amazing. You can give all that you have away to the poor. I mean, that sounds like a pretty good thing to do. I mean, that's a positive thing to do. He said, you can, you can do all of these miracles. You can prophesy. You can do all of these things. But if you don't love, you're just one of those little monkeys. I need to get one of them and use it as an illustration. You know, you're just a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. You're just, you know, we just turn the little monkey on and, you know, I mean, almost as a reminder when you're acting crazy, just turn the monkey on and say, this is you right now. (laughs) Now, Jesus perfectly loves you and, and, and he completely accepts you, but come on, man, stop. Just stop it. (laughs) Cause his heart. Uh, has always been motivated by love. Matter of fact, I love this. First John three fourteen. possessing this love lets us know we've passed from death unto life. Jesus, Jesus, uh, Jesus in Matthew 24 is, is giving an eschatological picture about Jerusalem. And, and he is speaking, he's speaking historically about something that was going to happen about 40 years later. But, the, but then he gets to chapter 25 and he, he's continuing now in giving parables and he starts to talk about sheeps and goats. And now, you know, I mean, I, I've heard whole long seminars on sheep nations and goat nations and all of that. And they're mis, really, it's a misinterpretation of the word nations. I mean, how exactly do you call any nation a goat nation if there's a whole bunch of believers in it? I mean, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. And I, I, I mentioned this in, in Pulse last night. I said, if anything that we preach in America, if you cannot preach it all around the world, then you shouldn't be preaching it here. The, the gospel, the gospel is something that you can preach literally everywhere. And so how do you go to China and tell the underground church in China that's growing by 10,000 people a week and they have a plan in place, literally a plan in place that by the year 2030, they will have believers in most of the great positions of government and they will be heading up most of the corporations. They, they literally have in place a plan to literally take over China. All right, that is that is their heart and their passion. But you're going to tell them it doesn't matter how much you pray, how much you believe, how much you love your neighbor, because you know what? You are the kings of the east. That when the river Euphrates thro- uh, r- dries up someday, there's going to be a billion man Chinese army that's going to come down from China and wipe out Israel in a valley of Armageddon. And anyway, hallelujah. Are you going to teach that? How are you going to go into Russia? And tell a bunch of Russians that no matter what you do, you're Gog and Magog, man. You're, you, you know, you're, you're, you're the bear from the north that's going to come wipe out Israel someday. I had a friend that was a missionary in Russia, and I was talking to him about this one day, and he said, you're absolutely right. He said, I would go out and preach on the streets, and when I would preach on the streets, at least two or, two or three times a day, somebody would stop me and say, listen, we're not interested in your American Jesus. We're not interested at all. And he'd say, well, what do you mean? Because your teachers in America have said that we're the bear of the north, we're Gog and Magog, and God has cursed us as a goat nation. So why would we serve your God if he already cursed us? Good point. Good point. So I'm going to stay away from the eschatology now. It's a good point. Because if what I preach here only translates here, it doesn't mean we can't apply some stuff, but the gospel works everywhere. 
And so what's, what's, what's uh, interesting then to, to me is, is as we begin to walk some of this uh, stuff out in, a, in just a simple and more pragmatic and practical way, and understanding not just not just the doctrine of Jesus, but his ethic and his anthropology, that we realize that this is this is about then connecting also with each other. And Jesus begins to talk about sheep and goats. Now, to a Jew, they weren't thinking about humans; they would be thinking about sacrifices. The moment you said to a Jew, a sheep or a goat, they went to atonement offering. And they went to sin offering. In their mind, the goat would have been one that was a scapegoat. It was something that was outside the camp, or you have a mindset of those people. When you have a goat mindset, your mindset is scapegoating. It is that mindset of Adam in the garden. When God says, what have you done? That woman you gave me. Okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's an, it's an immediate mindset that, that scapegoats somebody into not being important. It is, it is literally what caused the Holocaust. It's what caused slavery. Because if I can view someone less than human, if, if I can call you an ism, if I can label you, if I can view you as anything other than the image and likeness of God, then I can go on ahead and cause euthanasia. I can kill you because you were a Christ killer. I can, I can treat you like a dog because as many people were taught for a few hundred years that black people didn't even have souls. That, that blows my mind that someone could look at another human and say they don't even have a soul. And then, then something I read that blew my mind here about five or 10 years ago is that actually in the United States during the time of slavery, what was even worse was how, was how Irish people got treated. They actually were sold for less than African slaves and they were considered the dirt of the dirt because the British went and took over Ireland and they sold more than a million Irish people to be slaves in America. I was like, huh? That blew my mind. Matter of fact, in the South, they would buy the Irish slaves to sleep with the African slaves so it would make them more light-skinned because it made them worth more money. The crazy stuff. But you see, if I scapegoat you, if I don't see value in you, if I view you just as, well, you're one of those people. You know, you're, you're a sinner. Jesus was a friend of sinners. I... I actually heard a preacher say not too long ago, well, that doesn't mean he hung out with them. Listen, when you go, <laughs> when you go eat in, in, to this day in the East, when you eat at someone's house, you're not just saying, I'm being kind. When Jesus looked at Zacchaeus and he said, I must come to your house, he was literally saying, I accept you and everything that is about you. It was saying when you would break bread with somebody, it, it, it meant so much more than, well, you know, we're just kind of getting together. I actually, I actually heard one leader actually teach not too long ago. The only reason Jesus was a friend of sinners is because he was trying to convert them. Really? That's all Jesus was doing? You know what's interesting to me is it never says he's a friend of ex-sinners. That, that means that there's some people Jesus was friends with that never converted, but he still. And you know what I love about the gospel is not only that Jesus was comfortable in the presence of those people, but they 
we're comfortable in his presence. And to me, that's even, that's even bigger. The, the idea that, that someone would be okay to be in our presence and they would feel safe in our presence without judgment, fear, or shame. Because we've made up our mind to at least get the one thing down. And the one thing that we're supposed to be the most known for, Lord Jesus, it, it grieves me at times when I think, and I'm not going to live in the past, but it grieves me at times to think about how much time I wasted with all of the stuff I thought was spiritually deep and then didn't care about people. Let's be honest, in a lot of the American church, uh, people are commodities. Uh, you, you're just here to do something for us. Uh, it's just another plantation, and then we produce spiritual slaves. Good teaching, brother. Hallelujah. And, and I, I did a Facebook post uh, this past year that said, without a vision, people perish. But then I added to it and said, but many times with a vision, people perish. Because I've watched people get so consumed with a vision of a church, and they give 20 to 30 years of their life to a leader's vision, and they get done 20, 30 years later, and it seems like not a whole lot has changed. They've never found their dream and their vision. Their kids don't want anything to do with church because they were working 40 to 50 hours a week, volunteering 20 to 30 hours a week, absolutely exhausted, and they get 30 years later, and then they're becoming a part of what's famous right now because I just got done reading a book on the Dunn Church, and there's been between 30 to 40 million people in America alone that used to be heavily involved in church that are just done. They don't want anything to do with church. They're not against Jesus. They love Jesus. They still want to get together in homes and connect. They just don't want anything to do with a corporate gathering. And I, I, I don't really believe that that's the case. I believe they're just done with religion. I believe that their their hearts and the mindset is Ephesians 4, the purpose of the fivefold ministry gifts is to equip the saints for the work of the original Greek is their ministry, not the ministry. It's to help people find where where do you fit? What's your calling? What's your purpose? We want to, we want to activate you to your, to your purpose. I mean, I, I, I know. I mean, it's, it's one thing I love about Shalise's heart is to, to see people activated and, and begin to function in your gift, not just one man show. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, normally what, even what was just presented here to us this morning is, is not the norm in most churches. Uh, matter of fact, about two people get a microphone. If that let alone have a voice. I mean, that's just, it's not the mindset because then we, we miss out on every joint supplying and we miss out. There's all these gifts. And I'm, I mean, I sat down with our leaders and they said to me here a year ago, they said, you know what? We're, we're tired of church services. They're like, we're tired of just coming and being lectured to. They said, we still want, we still want to hear. We still want to be taught, but, but, but we want more interaction. We want dialogue. We, we want to feel like we're a part. And I'm like, let's do it. That's why I got up in front of my leaders and I committed what I would call leadership suicide. And I would probably never tell another leader to do this, but I felt our church culture could handle it. I got up in front of our leaders and I said, I have absolutely no vision for this church. No vision at all. And I said, but I've realized it's because I'm now an old man and old men don't have visions. Old men dream dreams. 
And I'm like, you know what? I, I have a dream for this house. My, my, my job is to set the culture and the doctrine and, and keep the family going forward. I said, but I want you younger ones to begin to give me vision because I had vision on how to reach my generation, but now I don't know how to reach this under 35 generation. I said, my, my heart is to do it passionately, but I'm not really sure how to do it. And all of a sudden they start coming alive. They're like, wow, really? You're admitting that? And I'm like, I'm admitting it. And, you know, I don't like the idea of calling myself old because, you know, I don't look it. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> no, my grandpa, and everybody says to me, I sat next to a lady on the plane on the way here, and, and, and she had a little girl sitting with her, and I said, she's beautiful. She reminds me of a granddaughter. She said, granddaughter, you are not a grandpa. I took out my phone, and I had to show her a pretty little, pretty little granddaughter because she's gorgeous. I mean, she's beautiful. And she's like, I can't, how old are you? I said, I turned 49 this month. You do not, she said. I said, you know, when we get off the plane, can I give you a hug? You know, just, <laughs> thank you so much. You know, just God bless you. But, I, but I've realized it's, it's the season of life, and my main job is to now teach people how to at least do the one thing. The one thing. So Jesus, he talks about sheep and goats. The sheep, that would be an atonement mindset. It would be a mindset of, of covering sin and not scapegoating it and exposing it. It would be a heart of reconciliation and a heart that says, uh, I'm, I'm viewing you from a different perspective. And so when Jesus is talking about the sheep and the goats, the Jews went to a different place, but then he, he starts finishing the parable and he says this. He said, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me nothing to drink. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was a stranger, a Xenos. I was a Syrian and you didn't bring me in. I was a prisoner and you never visited me. And the disciples are like, what? You know, I can almost hear Peter. When was you naked? <laughs> Let alone in prison. I slept through that one. You know, Peter fell asleep quite often when he should have been away. I slept through that one. I, I missed it. Man, Lord, when did this happen? And then he says this. He says, for if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Lord said this to me in January of this year. He said, you'll know you're getting somewhere in maturity when you can begin to see every human as me. Not see me in people, but see and treat every human as me. He said, how you treat them is how you treat me. Isn't it interesting that after the resurrection, Jesus rises from the dead and he walks up to Peter and he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? In other words, he's like, I'm going to show you in the new covenant how to love God. Peter, do you love me? He said, yes. He said, feed my lambs. In other words, how you show your love for me is now how you treat them. Peter, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Isn't it interesting that Saul on the Damascus road when Jesus appears to him in a light and knocks him off his high horse and he begins to speak, the first thing Jesus says to him is, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting the way? Why are you persecuting the church or those people? How are you treating me, Saul? Because how you treat them 
is how you treat me. And, and see, we get real good. We get real good many times at talking about how much we love God. Matter of fact, we get, we get really good at bragging about our love for God. But then we treat humans as less than. We, we sometimes have people sitting in a congregation that can't even stand a person sitting on the other side. I mean, no wonder when Paul is beginning to share with the church at Corinth when they were having the love feast called communion, which we made a sacrament, which wasn't made a sacrament till about 280 AD. It was a, it was a family meal. And so the whole family would come together, rich and poor alike. And Paul begins to deal with the wealthy Corinthian believers because they were showing up to the love feast early, eating all the food, drinking all the wine, and they were actually getting drunk. And when the poor people show up, there was nothing left. And he, he begins to deal with them. And he said, listen, you need to examine yourself or check yourself. He wasn't saying every time you have communion, go look for sin in your life because it's redundant uh, to begin to look for sin when you're celebrating that Jesus took it away 2,000 years ago. Hallelujah. Just... <laughs> It doesn't even make any sense. So, but Paul, what Paul was dealing with was not their sin that would affect them towards God. What he was dealing with, he said, you've not discerned the Lord's body. In other words, the way you're treating the people amongst you is that you're not seeing them as Jesus. Man, man for a lot of years, I didn't get that on any level. And I, I'm just, I'm just finally getting to a place. And then listen, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Uh, you know, love also corrects. Love adjusts. Uh, we still need love boundaries. If, if someone has has betrayed you and hurt you and wounded you, you can love them. It doesn't mean you're going to trust them. Come on, you understand? I, I don't want you to. I'm not. I'm not talking about just. Woo, you know. I mean, no matter what. No, no. I, I mean, when someone's wounded you, but but to still even then begin to see them still because most of the time the only reason they acted that out was because of what was done to them. And once you hear someone's story and the pain they've been through, it's amazing how easy it is to then be gracious towards them. I, I remember, I remember uh, hearing this story several years ago about, about a man who gets on a, on a subway in New York City and he had three little boys and he got on the subway and he immediately falls asleep and his boys start tearing the subway train up. I mean, just, they're going, they're climbing over everything and everybody's sitting on the train. You know, New Yorkers are like, I mean, they're about ready to choke these kids. Everybody's angry and mad. And about five minutes later, the dad wakes up and he sees the face of everybody sitting there. And he says, listen, everybody, please, please forgive my children. Uh, they've been up all night because last night at midnight uh, we had to, take an ambulance to bring their mother into the hospital. She was sick. We didn't know what it was. And just an hour ago, she died of a brain aneurysm. And I've had to explain to the kids that their mom is no longer with us. And all of a sudden, the whole train went from anger to compassion. Because all of a sudden, they began to realize, okay, they're acting like that. Because I'd probably be acting like that if my mom just died and I was five years old. I mean, how would I respond to that? It's amazing the compassion that flows out of us when we begin to see people as Jesus. 
See, Jesus came to remove the middle wall of partition between Jew and Greek and male and female. He came to deal with the mindsets of us and them. And, and, and do, you know, do you realize how easy it is for us at times to still get that mindset of those people? I mean, we can be driving down the road. We can get that mindset with a homeless person. They're, they're begging on the side of the road like, they need to get a job. Well, that, that may be true, but you don't necessarily know all their circumstances. We don't know how all that works. And so I, I when we first started our church, and I'm going to wind this down. When we first started our church, I, I literally prayed this. And I remember I, I said this to God. I said, God, I, I, want, I want our ministry to be a place that when a, when a prostitute from the east side of Saginaw wakes up on a Sunday afternoon and she says, I've just had a miserable week and a miserable month and I just need to go somewhere where I'll be accepted and loved unconditionally. That her first thought is to come see us at the connection. That, that, that when a stripper a couple miles down the road at the Deja Vu wakes up on a Sunday and she says, man, I just need to go somewhere or I'll be accepted a, a drug addict, an alcoholic, or, or, or the millionaire living in a million-dollar house out in Saginaw Township who just lost his marriage and his business because he hurt himself and got addicted to Oxycontin and Vicodin, and he started going over to his doctor neighbor's house and writing prescriptions for himself, and he got caught, and he's now going to jail. It doesn't matter. You don't, you don't have to be in a, an area where, where there's the down, 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 and out. It doesn't matter where you live. People are suffering. But, but where they wake up and they say, man, I just need to go somewhere. I, and, and I'm going to tell you what I prayed. I said, God, I want our church to be cheers. I want it to be a place where Norm will walk in. And, 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 and Norm, you know, listen, for some of you younger ones are staring at me like I have no idea what you're talking about. Just Google Norm and cheers. Go on Netflix, watch it. You'll enjoy it. <laughs> it was a sitcom <laughs> a few years back. But Norm would walk in. Norm's overweight. His wife, Vera, he barely even likes. He don't like his job. I mean, he, he spends almost as much time at the bar as he does anywhere else because he walks in and everybody says, Norm! He goes to a place where everybody knows his name and he's attracted there because he feels loved and accepted and, and he feels like he can be himself there without any pretense. And so about... Six months into us, we'd started our church in a basement hall, orange shag carpet, a bar in the corner, really unreligious. And we had a man, his name's Jeff. Jeff was riding his bike past and he heard the music and he, he turned back around and he came in and sat in the back. Jeff, Jeff in our town is one of our town drunks. Uh, Jeff rides his bike everywhere because he'll never have a license ever again. He always wears elbow pads and knee pads because he's always fallen off his bike and he come in and I, I was there preaching that day and he come up and afterwards and he was just crying and, and he said can I just hug you I said man I love that Jeff 
he introduced himself to me and we just started talking he gives me a big hug and he's got his backpack on him it's open and there's three fifths you know I mean you're smelling everything all over him but we just loved on him and Jeff he'd come at least twice a month and he'd walk in everybody would be like Jeff and he'd walk in and he's always looking for me Bishop, Bishop, is Bishop here? He, you know I mean you know, he hated when it was he chose to come on a Sunday and I wasn't there about a couple months later we were getting ready to move into the building that we're meeting in right now and I got up and I said, listen, for the next two, three weeks, I'm going to be over there every morning at 10 a.m. to about 9 or 10 at night. And we need some drywalling and mudding and sanding and painting. We need help. And Jeff comes to me and said, I'm going to be there every day. I said, all right, well, that's awesome. You know, thinking, we'll see. I pull up that next morning, and, and sure enough, he's, he's locking his bike up right outside. And he comes in and spends all day with me. I mean, just, and he's amazing at it. The next day, he comes back again working, and, and, and I took him to Burger King for lunch, and I, we're talking, and I said, Jeff, tell me your story, man. Tell me about you. And begin to say, he said, in my 20s, he said, I had my own contracting business. I was married, and I had a child. And he said, life was good. And he said, then I hurt myself, and then I ended up getting addicted to some prescription drugs. And he said, then it led to alcoholism because there's been all kinds of addictions in my family, and it stirred up all kinds of stuff. And he said, 38 years later now, he said, I've tried to dry out three or four times and it hasn't stuck. And I said, okay, Jeff. He said, can I share something with you? And I said, man, sure. You know what? I mean, I, I, I'd love for you to share something with me. And he said, he said, do you know how many times I wake up on a Sunday? And he said, when I wake up on a Sunday, he said, my, I've had a rough week. I've had a rough month. He said, I've had people spit at me and I've had people push me over on my bike and I'm scraped up and bruised and I wake up and I don't know where I am. And he said, man, there's times I, I've had such a miserable week. And he said, well, on those times, he said, I, I'll wake up and I'll say to myself, I just need to go somewhere where I'll be accepted, where I'll be loved, where I won't be judged. And he said, my first thought, to come see you all. Tore me up. I sat at Burger King and I just began to sob at the table. And he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, no, you're all right. You you have no idea. Jesus was willing to spend time with questionable people. I mean, are we willing to live an unquestionable life? I mean, are we really willing to be around people that folks would say you shouldn't be around them? I believe that if Jesus were here in the flesh, he'd be spending more time at clubs. He'd probably be spending more time. I absolutely believe, I mean, Jesus would probably, he'd be one of the people showing up at a gay pride parade and said, those people are not with me. The ones that are picketing and the ones that are angry because for some reason, Christians just like to fight. You know, Jesus one day standing before Pilate and Pilate said, if you're a king, where's your kingdom? And he said, my kingdom is not over from this world. For if it were, my servants would fight. That word fight means to strive, to agonize, to struggle and to battle. In other words, if you are struggling, striving and agonizing, it's not the kingdom. He said, but because my servants are not from this world, they don't fight. And you know, it, it's taken me up till about eight years ago. I used to make fun of lovers because I was always a fighter. I like fighting. Naturally, 
You see that smile? I ain't a redneck. I lost those teeth. I liked fighting. I enjoyed it. And then, then I get in church and I find out, you know what? This isn't physical punches. Now I can just be smarter than you and make you feel stupid. And now I can attack you with theology. And, and I'm just in this season of my life where I, I love everything I've learned, but, but if it's not motivated out of loving humans, what's the purpose? I mean, guys, it's, it's really, the gospel is so simple. Love is I have loved. Because if anything we're doing is not based in that foundation, everything else loses its authority. And it's about viewing humanity with worth. You know, Hebrews tells us that Jesus came to bring many sons to glory. Old Testament glory, kabod was weighty, it was heavy, it would, it would weigh you down, it would push you down because it was heavy. New covenant glory, doxa. That word is translated, Jesus came to bring many sons to value, to honor, and to worth. In other words, Jesus showed up and he spoke not to the darkness in people, but he spoke to the light because according to John 1, he's the light of all men. He didn't show up. And we've almost been taught in order to really preach the gospel, you got to explain to them how filthy and rotten, stinking and nasty and useless they are. Then after they say a prayer, now you're righteous. Really? I mean, first of all, I got to convince you that you are a low, down, dirty dog. And then because you said, I believe. Now you're good. And then, then I got to spend 20 years convincing you you're not that. Brother, God, God is, God is light. According to first John, he's light, he's life and he's love. Those are all nouns. Everything else that describes God is adjectives. Isn't it interesting that when, whenever, you know, whenever you say to someone, God is love, so, but he's also holy and righteous. He is. But holiness and righteousness are adjectives. They're describing his character, but not who he is. God is light. He's life. He's love. All of those are good attributes, but then there's, this is who he is. And, and, and if we're going to fully understand, if we're going to fully become, I've just, I've made up my mind in this season of my life. I just want to be known as a radical lover. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to treat people as those people. Nor am I going to pick at anybody as those people or sign anything that says those people. Sorry. Because the moment you dehumanize humans, you can throw them away. And until we can see value and worth in every single human, no matter how bad they're acting. And it's, it, it's how we've, we've chose to base our church in Saginaw. I mean, I've got a bunch of, I mean, Shalice has been there, I've got a bunch of former gangbangers, big old boys. I've got all kinds of big old Mexican boys in my church. And I walk up to them every time I'm there. 
hit him on the chest and say, hey, big boy, you're better than you're acting. You're better than you think you are. I'm going to keep telling you who you are till you start acting like it. My job is not to look for the darkness in you. It's to speak to the light. It's, it's to love you unconditionally. And if we could just get that one thing down, let me, let me read this and then I'll, I'll get out of the way. I got to read it because it's too eloquent because <laughs> I'm not that eloquent. God didn't give me one of them eloquent voices to be on the radio. God, I mean, I just don't have that. I got this easy top Wolfman Jack voice. It's, it's my brand, right, Chris? But uh, I was in my office and, and, and meditating. I just got done, I think a month before I had read Repenting of Religion, and then I read Brian Zahn's book, Beauty Will Save the World, which everybody needs to read that book. I read it four times, wept. Brian Zond, Z-A-H-N-D. It's called, it's called Beauty Will Save the World. It'll rock your world. Um, about how beautiful the gospel is. And that if what we're preaching, a sinner, quote unquote, if the world doesn't look at it and say that's beautiful, it's probably not the gospel. If what we're declaring, people doesn't view it as beautiful, but I sat down and I wrote this. That Jesus came to teach us how to love in the here and now and to end the wrath that is deteriorating our human condition. We live in a world where millions of children starve to death each year while we spend trillions on military might. The human race spends more money and time on taking life than it does on saving it. The gospel introduces the idea that peacemakers are blessed of God and that God judges righteousness by how we take care of the poor, the prisoner, the sick, and the least of these. The true meaning of life is in the gospel. It is about turning vengeance into forgiveness, eradicating fear with love, and turning greed into generosity. It is about recognizing that we are all made in the image and likeness of God and that he gives value to life, all life. The gospel gives us the hope that the world can be reborn through love, and healed through his love by us loving the way he loves. The only litmus test. Only way we can love God in the new covenant is they got to love humans. It's the only way. It's not about all this other great stuff, no matter how much training and teaching we get. And those are all good things. But if it does not produce in me a desire to love humanity, then we're ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Because the knowledge of the truth is found in incarnational living, in the word becoming flesh through us. And we flesh it out by loving others, especially our enemies. I shared this in Indiana a few months ago and one of the elders' wives in the church, she's in her 60s, she came up to me and she said, are you telling me that I've got to love my son-in-law right now who's abused my daughter and my grandkids? I said, yeah. 
I said, I'm not saying you trust him. I'm not saying you don't have boundaries. But yeah, she's like, I know. But I don't want to. I said, I understand. I get it. And people that have hurt you and harmed you and wounded you. Let's be honest. Sometimes when we hear something bad happens to somebody that hurt us, and, 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 and we're, we're told in front of someone else, we're like, oh, bless their heart. And then we get out in the car. <laughs> there was, I knew there was something not right about them. Something told me in my spirit they weren't right. I just. And we rejoice sometimes in calamity. Uh, rather than weep with those that weep and mourn with those that mourn. Until we can walk this out in community, it's all theory. It's all theory. And I've realized for a lot of years, I've preached a lot of theory. But when you have to actually walk it out in a common unity, and I have to learn to not get offended. You know one of the greatest purposes for the corporate gathering is not just for comfort, edification, and exhortation, but we are anointed to irritate hell out of each other. (laughs) We are. Because iron sharpens iron. The only way iron can sharpen iron is through heat, friction, and irritation. I've got to learn to love you even though you're getting on my last nerve. Because real maturity says, because I love, I forgive, and we're going to work this out. And, And the American church as a whole, if I get hurt or offended, I just leave. I don't work it out. And then we never grow as family. And then we miss the Jesus sitting next to us on a regular basis and I'm just after 20 some years figuring this out there's a side of it that pitiful to me but I'm glad he's finally showing me because it all comes down to just love perfect theology love is I've loved bow your heads would you Father I thank you today Lord, I thank you that you empower us by your Holy Spirit to love at times the unlovely. For us to be able to see even in our enemies and those that have hurt us or wounded us that that there's compassion that you have for them and that you you teach us how to love. It is it is it is the thing the early church was known for. They weren't, they weren't known for their fighting. They weren't known for their attacking the government. They weren't known for their picketing. They weren't known for what corporation they're angry at. They were just simply known for radically loving their neighbors, for radically loving humans no matter what those humans had done to them, that, that even being fed to lions... They shouted out in arenas, we forgive you and we love you. And they were worshiping as lions were tearing them to pieces. Apostles hanging upside down on crosses, seen, choosing to love. That radical message in a Roman culture of debauchery and fear and death and violence Jesus, you chose to show us how to truly be human. You you chose to show us what Adam should have showed us. You didn't come to just show us what the divine looks like. You showed us 
what we're supposed to look like. You showed us how to truly be human with God inside. And Lord, I, I thank you for Encounter Church and Prayer Mountain and everything you've done, Lord, in this house. I thank you that this is a house of love and acceptance. But Lord, I ask that you teach every one of us to just exponentially take this to a whole nother level. Lord, to just learn how to walk this out with each other, to, to choose to radically love above everything else. Lord, I thank you for that. And I honor you. Thank you for your love for us. Lord, we know sometimes our struggle with loving others is that we're still not convinced you love us. Everybody, put your hand on your heart, would you? And would you pray this with me out loud? Father, in Jesus' name, I receive your love wholly and completely. Thank you that I am loved unconditionally. You're radically in love with me. And I receive that love. But now that I've received that love, show me by the help of the Holy Spirit to then release that love to those around me. Help me to love radically. Help me to love others because it shows my love for you. I thank you for that. Use me this week, this afternoon. Teach me to love my family more and everyone around me. In Jesus' name, I lift your hands. Would you, Father, I... I just, I release just fresh agape over every individual in this house. Lord, this is, this is not something we can just receive by laying on of hands. This is, this is something that has to become a revelation to our hearts. That we have to choose to not only receive your love, but then to understand that, that your desire is for your love to flow through us. Because you, you only told us and commanded one thing. You told us to believe and you gave us a commission about making disciples, but you only gave us one command. And that command was to love humanity radically. And I thank you that as we learn, Father, to love humanity, everything we do is motivated now out of love. We, we, we give out of love. We serve out of love. We, we, everything we do is not motivated by law because the old covenant was a law that we kept. The new covenant is a life that keeps us. We thank you for that life dwelling in us. Thank you that you know how to help us do what needs to be done. I thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Uh, I want to encourage y'all in this and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of the way. It's, it's good to uh, keep flowing with me, man. I ain't wearing you out. It helps. <laughs> you know, it, it's good to go minister to people at the grocery store and the treasure hunt and everything else, but that can also be excarnational. I, I meet someone I've never met and say a quick prayer for them, but then I don't have to live with them. Uh, the truth is the best is still disciple making. And that is, uh, did you know that to a Jew loving their neighbor, 
just meant loving other Jews. That's it. And Jews like them. It wasn't about loving those people. They never, in their mind, they never had to love Gentiles. Gentiles were dogs, slaves, worthless, useless. They were the special ones. And anytime we have that mindset, and it sneaks in so subtly, and, and we don't realize that it's been inbred many times in our culture. But I want to encourage all of you. Why don't you just, I mean, we did this not too long ago. It, it dawned on me. I hadn't hardly talked to my neighbors in a couple of years. I'm in and out of our house so much. I mean, I wave at them. I'm hardly ever home. And so we decided to have a cookout and told our buddy BYOB. And, and, and just sat and talked. Some of them were like, you're a preacher. They're like, you don't dress like one. I said, thank you. You don't look like one. Thank you. You don't talk like one. Thank you. And we just made up our mind to just be, to just enjoy them. Didn't preach to them. Didn't say repent, you bunch of filthy, rotten, stinking, heathen, drinking beer. Smoking in my backyard. I'm sick, Rex. Instead, we just... I can't run around preaching that Jesus was a friend of sinners and hung out with with questionable people. And then all I do is hang out with Christians. He wants us to befriend people, period. And so I want to encourage you to live this. Get the one thing down. Get the one thing down. And he'll restore everything.